Welcome everybody to another episode of Need Some Introduction. I'm your host, Victor. In today's episode, primarily, I will be breaking down the return of Better Call Saul, the eighth episode of this final season after a six-week hiatus called Point and Shoot, continuing this motif of these titles with and in them, following up on plan and execution, the shocking mid-season finale of this current season. Before we get into that, I do not, unfortunately, get to talk about music as much as I'd like on this show. It is one of my main pleasures in life, along with movies and TV to a lesser extent, believe it or not, despite the fact that I spend most of my time talking about television on this podcast. But I wanted to be able to introduce a little bit of musical content here in these episodes. So just a musical moment here, and I would expect in general in the future to reserve these opening moments of the podcast for some musical content. I have discovered my passion for music through movies when I was younger. I would listen to the movie, I'd be very moved by a f- particular film, and I would think, what's that song? And now, of course, of course, we all have Shazam on our phones. Back in the day when I was much younger, it was much harder to track down this music. You had to buy the soundtrack and then play it and then try to figure out which one of those songs was it in the movie. The internet, of course, has come along and made all that much easier and mobile devices even easier yet. To wit... You'll notice in the background, I am playing Goodbye Yellow Road by Elton John. A song that I'm including here because I was traveling with my family and Sing 2 is available on Netflix and my daughter loves Sing 2. It's her favorite film right now. And she now loves Goodbye Yellow Brick Road because it's used in that film. And coincidentally this week, in the finale of The Boys, check my recap by the way, which I just posted this weekend. I was a little disappointed with that finale and you can get my opinions there if you haven't caught up already. But they also used Goodbye Yellow Brick Road in that final episode. And as I was thinking of introducing this topic of music discovery through pop culture, the 800-pound gorilla right now has to be Stranger Things, which used the Kate Bush song, Running Up That Hill, as an essential plot point in the first half of this current season of Stranger Things. And that song has gone all the way to number one, giving Kate Bush her first number one song in the United States and hot off the finale of this season, those last two very long episodes that just played a couple weeks ago, which I enjoyed. We see that Master of Puppets by Metallica, also used centrally in those episodes, has also shot up the charts, as have other songs that were played in that episode. So the goal here is to introduce one song, then introduce another, and then to see if you, dear listener, can figure out the connection between them. My sometimes co-host Ian who does most of the musical episodes with me, will also be playing along and he'll try to guess what that connection is. And he will also be suggesting in our follow-up episode, another song in the chain. And I'll try to guess what that connection is. And the song I want to talk to you about right now, speaking of Kate Bush, a little of her biography, she was a huge star in the UK. As a matter of fact, her very first single when she was 19 years old, Wuthering Heights went to number one in the UK, but did not chart in the United States. And she did have some success on college radio, but never really broke out onto the pop charts until 1986, when she had Running Up That Hill, her only top 40 hit, made it to number 30, and of course has eclipsed that success currently. And it's not too surprising when you think of the sound of Kate Bush and you think of Billie Eilish and other contemporary female artists that have all been 
influenced significantly by Bush, that in some ways she sounds more contemporary now than she probably did back when she was probably considered a little avant-garde, even though alternative music was definitely becoming more mainstream. But she did appear on the pop charts one more time, as a matter of fact, pretty soon thereafter, in 1987, on the Peter Gabriel song, Don't Give Up. Gabriel was inspired to write this song after seeing some photographs from the Great Depression, the U.S. Great Depression, and started to imagine this story of these people who had lost their way of living. And he was also paralleling it with a lot of these displaced miners and farmers that were losing their way of life as well during the Thatcher years in England in those late 80s. So a little bit about this song, the reason I like it so much. There's this very interesting call and response in Gabriel's vocals. He's at the end of his rope. It's a man who has lost everything. And the response from Kate Bush is to not give up, is that there's still people who care for him and will be there for him. In this proud land, we grew up strong. We were wanted all along. I was taught to fight, taught to win. I never And my favorite part of the song is this bridge in the middle where the song goes from almost being something pretty ambient early on, not surprising for a Peter Gabriel song, into something that almost feels like gospel music. So that's Don't Give Up, Peter Gabriel and Kate Bush, a minor hit from the hugely successful So album. This is this album that has Sledgehammer, Big Time, Red Rain, and other truly great songs. As a matter of fact, this is really a classic album. If you haven't listened to it in a while, this is almost every song is classic on this record. Okay, so the challenge for you and for Ian is to think of what the connection is between these two songs. And here's how it's going to work. If you think of the connection I have thought of, I have a very specific connection I'm thinking of, between these 
these songs, or by the way, the artists as well, there's a clue, then you will win my plaudits. I will shout you out on the podcast, so please email me, need some introduction at gmail.com. And Ian is hard on the case right now to try to figure out what the connection is here. And will also be in a subsequent episode challenging me with a related song to this particular song. And we'll see how he does, and you'll see how I do with his challenge. You too. God. You too in your mouths, Dios mío. Now you listen. My car's downstairs. Press the clicker and you'll find it. This is where you are going. Don't speed. Don't weave. Don't cut anyone off. Just, you know, drive nice. From here, at this hour, I'd take 40 east, get off at Carlisle, take the third left. The rest, I drew a little map for you on the back. It's not hard. So, big white brick house with a solid black door. You can't miss it. It's right at the end of the team. Park a little down the street, not out in front. It's a quiet neighborhood, so you'll have plenty of options. Stating the obvious here, maybe, but turn the car off, right? So, in the glove compartment, I left you a present. There's a camera, and there's a gun, and you're gonna need both. A gun? Yeah, 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 but don't worry. I mean, it's, it's very easy. It's a revolver, it's already loaded, no safety. It's idiot-proof. So you go up to that house. You walk right up to that black door. Don't run. Be casual, like a stroll, you know? Keep the gun somewhere behind you where they can't see it. You ring the bell, you count to three, you step back, they look through the people, you're as innocent as can be. Door opens, you point, and you shoot. And you keep on pulling that trigger until it's empty. Simple. All right, Sona, so we are back. We're back. We're back, baby. <laughs> What an episode of television. Wow. Indeed. Poor yeah. Howard. The indignity oh. of it all. It really is. I, it, we don't have to get into that, but I mean, that is really the <laughs> thing that haunts this whole episode, I think. Really? More than anything else is, you know, they used Howard as almost a punchline throughout last the, the setup. And it's almost like you're just realizing now how perfectly executed this was. We spent so much time on Jimmy and Kim's side, setting up Howard, like you mentioned, the indignity of him just being shot as like uh, the punchline of that first half of the season. And now haunting this episode for me, and we'll have to get into it when we break down the episode, there's a specific shot here that was so utterly depressing to me. <laughs> like I was mm -hmm. like existentially depressed by a particular shot late in this mm -hmm. episode. I was surprised at how uh, you know affected I was by it. Okay, I won't say anymore for the time being. Then. Yes, because well, I think we'll probably have to, <laughs> we'll probably have many things to say at that time. Mm -hmm. And really just in the way the show is constructed, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So this episode is called Point and Shoot. So we're continuing now with this and the, the name, the naming conventions. Oh, good point. Yes, good point. Huh? And shoot. <laughs> um, yes, I hadn't realized that. And very clever here, by the way, I didn't think about it until right now when I was preparing for this for our recording, but point and shoot, of course, because we'll find out, we'll get into the breakdown, but of course, there's not only the shooting part of this, but there's the whole photograph part of it, right? So point and shoot. Mm -hmm. so. Right. So when we open, uh, a very sad opening to this, we see a shoe in the water, right? And then we see the Namaste license plate, that vanity plate on that Jaguar, a car parked on a beach. And we see very sadly, by the way, right off the right off the bat, the wallet with the ring on top mm -hmm. of it. And uh, immediately, of course, we know that this is some kind of setup for Howard's suicide. Uh, there's no other explanation for it at this point in the show, obviously. 
but it is still very sad when it all kind of comes full circle as the show often does it sets something up mm-hmm. that comes full circle so we open immediately, uh, like visually, on the bloody wreckage of this shooting. We see the blood pooling under yeah. Howard's body. We see like the spray of blood on the walls, like all these little details. And of course, right. Kim and Saul, I forgot his, I forgot his name. <laughs> it's right <in> the <laughs> Speaking of missing the basic uh, uh, things. Well, Kim, you might have wanted to say Jimmy, in fairness. True. To that, that might be why I constantly get hung up yeah. on that. And then uh, the two of them are completely shell-shocked by this whole situation understandably so yeah and lalo immediately is you know cool as a cucumber he's like now you have to listen and he lays it out you guys have to go you're going to take this camera he says jimmy or saul you're going to go and take this you're going to get in this car you're going to take this gun you're going to go to the door there's going to be a short guy there with glasses on you know brown skin and you're going to pull the trigger (laughs) until he's dead and then you can take a picture of it and you're going to come back here and that should take you about 50 minutes total uh don't break any don't don't speed don't get pulled over And uh, you have to be back here in an hour, which, of course, the looming threat of that is. And one of you stays here as insurance. Right. And uh, Saul, a little surprising. It was funny because I was surprised by this twist. And then, of course, it made perfect sense. Saul says, send Kim. And, of course, she immediately freaks out. He sees a woman. She looks like she's in distress. Maybe her car broke down. I mean, you'd open the door for her, wouldn't you? Stop. Stop. Yeah, but... She's really clever. I don't know if she's going to stick to the plan. She will. No, 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 no. No cops. You know she will. No. Look, this doesn't even make any sense. I, I've, uh, I've never shot a gun before. I've never even held one. Like I have. Jimmy, what are you doing? You know she's the best choice. No, I'm not. I, I, I can't. I can't do it. She can do it. You know no, she can Jimmy, do it. You I'll know stay. I'm stop. right. Just stop. Listen. Just stop it. I, oh, my shut God. Up. Okay, go, fine. Yeah, up. her. Whatever. Give me the keys. Give me the address. Let's go. Great acting by her here. I oh, thought. my God. So good. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I, I felt like it was very true to how I would respond in that situation. <laughs> exactly. I was just basically, you know, shaking and unable to even, like, get myself together in any way. She's still recovering. She's still in shock from the whole Howard shooting. And this is what's like kind of snaps her mm-hmm. out of the shock is her literally just mm-hmm. begging of Saul not to send her. I mean, right. and also, you know, they had just moments before been celebrating, right? This great yes. caper a- and having their wine and watching their movie and the candle is lit. And now all of a sudden, all this. I mean, it's funny later, Lalo puts up the volume on the movie they were watching, that film noir they were watching. Yes. And it's, you know, to your point, it's kind of like shocking when you think about it. It's like, you know, we're like 10, 15 minutes later in the movie. And how have things changed in the past 10 yes. or 15 minutes, right? Oh, so the first thing I want to talk to you about in some detail is this whole episode on reflecting on it is like a giant chess match that we're seeing be- primarily between Gus and Lalo, which is kind of fascinating that, you know, we're so focused on Kim's actions here on what Mike does and, and we'll break down all those uh, elements. But Really, what you're seeing playing out here is this chess match between the two of them. Uh, the first thing I want to get your thoughts on is what exactly is going through these three people's minds at this moment, Kim and Lalo and Saul. Saul is obviously saying, send Kim. So he wants her to mm-hmm. go out because I guess he thinks that gives her a greater chance of survival, whether she executes or not. I think that's right. Yeah. I, I couldn't decide whether it was supposed to be just that he thought she's more likely to be killed if she wasn't the one to leave the apartment. Right. Or if it was that he was trying to implore her to do something to save them both. I I wasn't, 
clear on that though. Ideally, he hopes that she's going to be better in performing to survive both of them. But I think primarily in his calculus, if she chickens out and can't do this or goes to the cops, she lives at least. Right. right. So I do right. think that he is making that calculation. Now, this, of course, ends up being the dead giveaway to Gus later on, because what is Lalo thinking here, right? Lalo, obviously, mm -hmm. is in a way playing his hand here, because if he intended for this to play as he had originally laid out, he should not have let her go, basically. He should have forced Jimmy to go. Jimmy would be more likely to do the assassination in fear of Kim being left behind. But of course... Well, unless he figured that they're one step ahead of him somehow... And they would be ready for this. And whoever's being sent isn't going to be able to do this successfully. He's going to get the information he needs on where people are going. I mean, that's his actual plan. But yeah, that's why I'm saying right. it's, a, it's a giveaway. It's yes. a giveaway to Gus that this was his actual exactly. plan. Yeah. That there was no chance of success of Kim. Wang. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I agree. Yes. If what he's stating now is his true plan, then he should have sent Saul. I see. I see what you're saying. If he was trying to make them believe that he really, truly thought someone could assassinate Gus in in his doorway. Well, assassination, I think, maybe has to be a political figure, but someone could murder, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> murder Gus in his doorway. Then, yeah, it was. I mean, that was the tell, as you said, that, right. well, why would he have allowed Kim to go? Yeah, to be honest with you, this is such a tell that for me, I calmed down watching the episode because I'm thinking like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen here? And then when that happened, I'm like, oh, this isn't Lalo's plan at all. And it, it, I, like, I, mm -hmm, I knew right mm -hmm. away because for the reasons right. I just stated. And right. I was thinking it still is, you know, in a way she could just be bait. So yes. he, he knows there's something there. She's going to walk up the steps and like 15 people to jump out of the bushes and he'll know what's up at the house. Right. Uh, and it was, you know, just a few minutes after that, even that I'm like, oh, no, right. no, no, that's not his plan. He just wants to get in a laundry bag. That's what he's been trying to do since last yes. season. Right. So, yes, for the first half of the season, it is interesting to kind of think about what the gamesmanship is going on in all their minds at that moment, because they're all playing this like internal chess match. They're not saying what they actually yes. mean. And they all know they're not saying what they exactly yes. mean. And they're still playing against each other, which is pretty, pretty interesting. So then, uh, you know, when she leaves, it allows Lalo, not only when he's like tying up Saul, to uh, kind of fill him in <laughs> on like the plot of what's happened in Mexico. It's like, which uh, we really mm -hmm. don't need, we don't really need that information, but I guess it is. It was somewhat. very memorable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in some ways, it might be important to uh, let Jimmy know what was happening or Saul. Mm hmm. And of course, another thing that's a dead giveaway that this was not his original plan is that he does not sit there and make sure that Saul doesn't escape. He just hog ties him and leaves. A lazier show would have had him like break out of his shackles within minutes or found a hidden knife or something in the, in the apartment. But Lalo's done this before. <laughs> Lalo leaves him in a state where he can definitely not escape from where he is. But uh, if right. he happens to bust out in an hour or two hours by just like kind of breaking the chair apart underneath him, he doesn't care. He just wants, he just needs a little bit of time mm -hmm. to get his mm -hmm. plot in motion. This is interesting, though, that when he finally topples over in that chair, he's eye to eye with Howard, which is, you know, probably very uncomfortable, you know, dealing with the consequences yes. of his actions. Oh, my God. Then we have the whole drive. Once again, excellent acting here by Rhea Seahorn. Yes. Totally agree. And the cops pull up and she's just rolls down the window. There's like a moment where she's about to say something. She doesn't know what to do. She probably can't imagine how she got herself into the situation, like chasing after this, the thrill, these little cons and stuff. And never probably expecting the consequences that have gotten to this level. But I guess that's what happened to Saul also, right? They've kind of all been playing with fire so many times. She shows up at the house, rings the doorbell. She actually pulls out the gun. And this is the next thing I wanted to get your opinion on. She pulls out the gun and uh, points it into the open doorway. And of course, Mike comes and like tackles her, or, you know, drags her into the house quickly. So he intervenes. So he was there watching the house. You know, we had these questions, you know, it's if this is 
you know, this is love between the two of them. Is it romantic love? Like what is their relationship about? We've had multiple conversations about this, but she was really about to go through with this. It was that surprising. To you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know if she could have made herself pull the trigger, but yeah, she was definitely like, all right, I'm here. No other way out. So <laughs> I don't know. I think it is surprising, but then I think there's also the idea of like, none of us really know what we're capable of until we're in a specific situation, right? I was surprised, but not shocked. In my mind, I thought she was going to roll up there. Someone's going to answer the door and she's going to be like, I'm going to sound like a crazy person. Like she's got like going to turn into her cool, calculated, more calculated version of herself and theoretically, you know, lay it all out on the line. Yeah, that was an option. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but instead she <laughs> pulls out this gun and is like literally pointing it into the doorway. So I was like, yes. wow, I was surprised by that, that she's like so fearful going back to that apartment. I have to assume in her mind, it means they're both dead yeah. and she is willing to take this risk, you know, potentially drive away, be scot-free to some extent, run mm -hmm. to the police, whatever, mm -hmm. and save mm -hmm. her own life and just basically cut her losses and make a pragmatic choice that unfortunately Jimmy is probably going to die. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe the cops can get there before he gets killed, if that's the, the risk. But at least I live. And if I go back there and I do this, not only do I kill somebody, I probably end up dead. And just the hope of saving Jimmy's life, she, that she's willing to do this. I thought that was that says a lot about their relationship. Yeah, I agree with that. Maybe one of the few comedic beats in this whole episode was when Mike is debriefing her. And he goes, now calm down. You have to tell me what the plan was. <laughs> and there's this other bodyguard there who happens to be, you know, a, a dark skinned guy, a Latino or, or, or African-American <laughs> with glasses. And she goes, I'm supposed to come here, open the door. I'm supposed to kill him. I'm supposed to kill <laughs> And the guy's like me, I'm supposed to kill me. <laughs> Just another, which of course is the problem with Lalo's plan in the first place. Some other brown guy with glasses comes to the door, ends up getting killed and does not kill Gus at all. Yes. And of course, this turns out to all be a setup. It's all to drive the security away from the laundromat so that Lalo can finally finally break in. He's been trying to do this for multiple episodes now. Yeah, but yeah. so much of it was dependent on that guy stepping away at just the right moment, no? It's correct. So, But it's still, even then, by the way, I mean, he definitely would have seen him if he was sitting there in front of the TV. But even then, he's smart enough to avoid the cameras because it's kind of like you only like see his shoulder as he is intentionally going uh, outside the... Uh, the perimeter of the laundromat, which is pretty interesting when you think about it, how careful Lalo is that even though he does appear on that security camera, camera very briefly, that he is intentionally not walking in the driveway. He's, you know, scaling the side of the building. Yeah, He's entering through, through a vent. And then later on, you actually see the laundry bag swinging. So he wasn't even like dropping down to the floor because he probably very smartly assumed there are security cameras who would see him walking around the middle of the, the laundry mat. So anyway, he's very, uh, very careful, but not careful enough. True. I say not careful enough, but although I'm not sure how he could have predicted the, the final moments here, <laughs> regardless of how <laughs> careful he was. <laughs> so uh, this is the next question I have for you. So he gets into the laundry mat and of course things go really, really badly for everybody here at the end, pretty much especially for Lalo, <laughs> but, um, well, yeah. but what do you think his original plan was? I actually think that there's something he says in a few more moments. We'll, we'll get to it specifically. We don't have as much time as I had hoped or something like that. So I think his plan was to break in there and get the evidence once again, Prova, but going back to what he said to his uncle all the way at the beginning of last, uh, of, of this season that he wanted proof. And then he wanted to take his time, like torturing 
Gus or having the Salamancas come after Gus and, and kind of disrupt his life. Because I don't think he wanted to have some giant confrontation, confrontation here in the laundromat. As a matter of fact, I think that he was lucky given their distraction. But if 20 guys had come back instead of four, it's unlikely he would have survived that whole situation. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I had assumed all along that he was luring Gus there for just this purpose, but you are making some good points that I had not considered. I just figured if they were fully staffed and like all the security guards are back watching the cameras and stuff, like he couldn't do much investigating. He can't just be wandering around pushing buttons and no one notices them there. Right. Mm -hmm. So Gus talks to Kim on the phone even though he's right across the street, <laughs> he has to use a phone to talk to her. And he asks her exactly, why is she the one who came to the house? Mm-hmm. And she goes that Saul talked him out of it and sent her instead of him. And he's like, Saul talked Lalo out of, uh, out of yes. his plan. And right away, he's just like, nope, doesn't sound right to me. This is all <laughs> subterfuge. <laughs> and uh, his gut instinct is to go back to the laundromat because not that I think he knows exactly what's up, but he's thinking, okay, so what happened? You know, we mobilized everybody and emptied out the laundromat, right? That's where the security guards pretty much are holed up most of their time when they're not in the field. So he goes, okay, why did he want that laundromat empty? And he goes back with four unfortunate bodyguards. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's when, uh, you know, they have their final confrontation there at the laundromat. And this was just so well executed, this whole sequence in the laundromat, even though of course (laughs) we know pretty much what's going to happen, but it still was just really, really well done. Yeah, I mean, it was shocking to me, the efficiency with which Lala was able to kill these guys. Um, I mean, I know he came up from behind them, but nonetheless, just a matter of mere seconds. So if what you're saying is true, and he did not necessarily expect it to play out this way, he really is ready for anything. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what he he kind of (laughs) has proven himself to be like almost like James Bond. Yeah. In the first half of this season, season, right? Like he has a body double ready to go, travels to uh, yes. Germany. He suddenly mm-hmm. is all suave and debonair. Like, uh, you know, um, I mean, he really is. He's like a super spy. <laughs> yes. But it came to an end here. Uh, Gus, maybe not as physically skillful as Lalo is at pretty much at everything. You know, he did outsmart him here. And that's really where Gus's superpower has always been being very, very well prepared, <laughs> basically. Yes, although this is another situation that we see so often in the media where if people would just cut to the chase and murder the person they want to murder, (laughs) everything could be different. But whatever vanity or other tangential concerns pop up, I mean, here, I guess he wanted to know about how to get into the underground portion of the laundromat. But nonetheless, like, I don't know what he found out from the German engineer and how things work, but I feel like he might have been able to get to the bottom of that and also kill Gus just by shooting him in the head. Not that, (laughs) um, I mean, obviously this is one of those situations where because this is a prequel, we know that Gus survives, right? So, and I know previously we've discussed how the knowledge of who makes it into the Breaking Bad universe impacts the enjoyment of this show. Right. And I think as, as well done as all of this was, probably for me, it did ratchet down the tension a bit yes, yep. that I know that Gus survives and probably the only way Gus can survive is if Lalo doesn't. So, okay, let's watch how they do this. But the, yes, the yes. real, you know, edge of your seat feeling wasn't there, which, you know, whatever, that's, that's just how this timeline is going to work. So. 
Yeah, I mean, as a matter of fact, I was watching this with Kim last night, and there's that moment when it's just the two of them together. And I honestly thought they were going to drag out the Lalo die. When does Lalo die? Uh, thing. Mm-hmm. And my heart was pounding at this moment. This is so interesting that like the, the meta, <laughs> which which the showmakers are playing with, but this kind of metatextual way that we're all watching the show because it's a prequel, like you said that my heart started to race at that moment going like, oh my God, they're going to kill Lalo right now. Like I realized that like, <laughs> like there's there's only one direction this could possibly go yes. at this moment, right? So I'm like, they're not going to drag this out at all. This is going to happen in the next this two minutes. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> and, uh, and that's what I was going to touch on. And the reason I like the Scream movies so much is that even the worst of them have this mystery baked into it. And I feel like that is something that's so forgotten nowadays in movie making and TV watching as well, that you need to have mysteries about a particular character, about their motivations, about how something's going to play out. And I actually made me think about this specific show just last night in the fact that the driving mystery often here in the show, there's all these little mini mysteries, you know, how they kind of give you a clue at the beginning. We still have to figure out what the symbolism of Kim, the, the bottle top for the tequila means in the relationship with Kim. So there's these little things that they lay out. And of course, the flash forwards that we've been seeing throughout the series as kind of a a tease for what's going to come at the end. So they have those type of mysteries that are plot mysteries, but so much of the show mysteries is what you were describing before. I sit around going like, how is this character? I know he survives, but how the hell does right. he survive? You know, Trying how does he survive? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. So it's kind of, a, it's interesting that they're the mysteries that they often play with are the hows of things rather than the why or the who or the the kind of the basic mysteries we, we're used to seeing on these shows, True. which I think you have to do because it's a prequel, right? It's a lesson, I think, for anybody out there that even when you know what the outcome is, you can still have mysteries in your story, which I think is important because that's what I think draws the audience. For sure. To your point, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, Lalo wanted to get proof. If Lalo just goes in there and kills Gus, it could be very easy to say, He's just a crazy person and he'd be on the outs. At that moment, he is kind of on the outs with his own, not with the Salamancas, but with the broader Don Eladio and and the broader cartel. So he wants to basically resurrect himself. I mean, Gus is like the cash cow for the cartel and he obviously can't go kill them willy-nilly without any kind of proof. He needs proof. So he did want that proof and he knows that Gus is going to be the easiest way to discover where the meth lab is, of course. Although, like you said, that other guy already gave him a lot of details. So he knows it's almost certainly under there. You know, he knows right. these particular details. And that's when, you know, Gus opens up the contraption there. He's very impressed by this giant laundromat opening up and them descending into it. He says, hey, I have one of these in my- Who wouldn't be? <laughs> he did have them. Remember the trick bathtub? That's how he escaped from his own- That's company. right. That's right. <laughs> but yeah. he goes, oh, but this one's much more impressive. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this one's much more impressive. <laughs> So he's having some fun there. Oh, and the other thing I was going to say that I think is part of what happens here is that thematically, it made me think once again, I don't know if the show is really this smart. Maybe they are manipulating me to this extent, and, and but at least the writing is rich enough where you can make these connections. Lalo very much feels confident that he is in a position of power. Yes. And we see very interestingly in this final moments, just after he's killed Lalo, that Gus is terrified. Like it's the first time we've seen him utterly terrified at that moment. So we see that kind of the facade of the calm he always has is broken for, for a moment here. And we've seen before too, that this Lalo situation is really stressing him out, right? Oh, yeah. In previous episodes. <laughs> With a toothbrush and a tandem bathroom. <laughs> Everybody 
who dies in this show. Now I just may kind of make this connection. I'm sorry, not in this show. I mean, everybody who dies in Breaking Bad and as well as in this show, most people here, they're overly confident at the moment that they die. They think that they have the upper hand and same thing. Lalo says, well, I got him dead to rights. There's no chance of him escaping. But you think about the way that Gus eventually dies. You think of how Mike dies, mm -hmm. like really not taking the risk of um, Walt as seriously as he should. And mm -hmm. it happens over and over again here. And I think that that's kind of interesting. If Gus had had his paranoia antenna as high as it is here <laughs> at this moment, he would not have been blown up in Breaking Bad. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. Foreshadowing, therefore, the eventual demise of, of Gus. And yeah, so they go downstairs. And now we see exactly what was laid out in that earlier episode. He knows exactly how many steps there is between the power cable and digger yes. that's down in the basement lab. And he buys some time by mouthing off against the cartel. Hector, yeah, I kept him alive, kept him broken. I will save him to the last. Before he dies, he will know I buried every one of you. <laughs> Big talk. You done? No. Not yet. This is great. You know, uh, Giancarlo Esposito gets to play something he never plays as Gus, like, you know, just as pissed off, angry spewing bile <laughs> and of course lalo loves this he's like oh my god i can't wait to show this to everybody i can't wait to show my little documentary mm -hmm, to everybody his home films mm -hmm. and reminiscent to me of nacho's final moments yes. too right oh, yeah. where Very he's like point. i'm gonna tell you exactly what i think <laughs> wow that's an excellent point i wonder if in the writing of the show gus is taking inspiration from nacho like on the one hand yes he's probably happy to say these things but i wonder if he's like <laughs> i need to buy some a minute here mm -hmm. What did not? What would Nacho do? Because <laughs> I was riveted when Nacho started exactly. going off on all of us. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I had to let him finish his thought before we killed him. <laughs> exactly. He's like, I couldn't wait to hear what he was going to say next. Yeah, I know. Get it all out. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, Aha! I have a plan. <laughs> I will do as Nacho did before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is just such a beautifully executed sequence. You know, he goes, he like kicks out the the cable the lights go out you know because it's just a bunch of cables all strung together down there they're still very much under construction mm -hmm. and then he you know has counted his steps he knows exactly how far he has to run he jumps and grabs it and it's just beautifully photographed too like basically the screen goes to black and you just see the gun mm -hmm. the, the the muzzle flashes of the guns it's pretty pretty incredible stuff and you can almost count each shot as it goes back and forth i mean literal shots in the dark right yes i mean exactly. yeah. insane to me just that anybody was able to hit anything is insane to me, but. Yeah. And what's kind of fascinating about it. I mean, just to think about it at this moment is that, you know, obviously the muzzle flashes from Lalo are what's giving away his position. Right. And that's kind of an advantage yes. that, that he has because until he pulls the first, uh, until Gus pulls the trigger the first time, his location is basically just a guess as far as Lalo's concerned. Right. And yes. Lalo, of course, uh, is giving away his position because he's, you know, his muzzles flashing right in the, in the night. In the dark, I should say. But of course, the only light source is the digger itself. It's lights. And he turns on the digger's lights and you see Lalo 
in the lights, just his boots, as he is choking and has this little smile, this kind of like, oh, wow, this is how it goes <laughs> at mm-hmm. the end. Kim was very grossed out here, by the way, by all the blood that was spewing out of him. So much was... <laughs> blood. Wow, Kim was grossed out. That's saying a lot. <laughs> no joke. She literally sawed off someone's leg last Friday, and she's telling me about how when they cut through the marrow and the bone, that it squirted onto her mask, and she had to wipe herself down before she could continue uh, the surgery. But oh, for some uh, reason, in horror movies, she is squeamish. It's very strange. She's not squeamish at work. No. <laughs> it's very strange. I guess when you're doing something like for a living, it's my wife's like, quirky like that. <laughs> you disassociate. I don't know what's happening there, but meaning that when she uh, eventually kills me, <laughs> she will have no problem with it. <laughs> but, but watching a recording of it will be very troubling. Yeah. So then we have the final wrap up there. Gus realizes, uh, like I mentioned before, he, he's kind of panicked. He's afraid that Lalo may not yet be dead. And tell me your read on this. You know, we see him in the dark, utterly panicked, like terrified, utterly terrified. And then you see him just looking coldly at Lalo while Lalo dies. Do you think he's giving Lalo a performance, even though he knows Lalo's about to die? Or do you think that something really has shifted in Gus? He really believes he's invulnerable at this point. He's become maybe. I felt it was his ego. Yeah. 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 That's what I thought. That like, see, even this. I can outsmart anybody, you know, giving himself credit, right. For knowing that he was going to be in a situation where he was going to yep. need to know where the gun is and how many steps yep. and blah, blah, blah. Yep. Um, I mean, I think it, that would be human, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, take in the glory of all of your advanced plannings. I think I would be, <laughs> I would be like jumping up and down at first. I would be utterly terrified. Like just like, he I, I think I'd be puking. Yeah. I'd, I'd be puking. <laughs> but then a moment afterwards, I'd be like, yes, I did it. <laughs> it works. <laughs> Everything. I'm a genius. <laughs> People said I was being paranoid, but no, that's right. That's right. I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I'd be rubbing it in Mike's face too. Like Mike, I told you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the next time we see Gus, he is very funny. I said there's only one moment of humor here earlier on. This is maybe the second moment of humor, definitely a moment of humor here where he is getting patched up, waiting for his mm-hmm. you know, illegal doctor to come over the border from Mexico. He's a few hours away still. And some one of his guys cleaning his wound and getting him ready for it when the doctor arrives. <laughs> and meanwhile, he's on the phone <laughs> making sure that his staff is covered over at the restaurant. Hey, people still need their chicken. And also not for nothing, but, you know, he has to keep his um, cover up, right? So, you know, on the more pragmatic side, he has to be business as usual so that, you know, there's no suspicions about anything. Yes. And Gus is once again, kind of rubbing it in Mike's face. And Mike's like, how did you know about this? Why didn't you call me? He's like, I wasn't 100% confident. You know, Gus is kind of like pretty happy about how things went. You know, he said it could have been worse. He goes, it could have been, but it wasn't, blah, blah, blah. But I think he's kind of forgetting the fact that like four of Mike's guys, and he seems to be pretty close with his guys, are now dead. <laughs> There's really no mention of those guys. This is a bit of a tangent. Uh, rather than marathoning Better Call Saul in the run-up to the premiere, for whatever reason, AMC decides to marathon Breaking Bad. Yes, I uh, so I did. Yep. So I did watch some of that over the weekend on Sunday, actually. I, it was an episode that I can't recall seeing it before, although I must have. It was later in the season. Tell me if you remember it. It's an episode with the the train heist, right, that they yeah. do? Yep. And I remembered the train heist, but I didn't remember this scene about this kid who is just like exploring the desert and he finds this spider. Do you yep. know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, devastating, right? Yes, the that, shooting at um, the end, yes. Yep, it's absolutely. the introduction of the Jesse Plemons yep, character. Yep. I can't remember his name right now. Yeah, and then at the end, this poor kid, just for being in the wrong place at the wrong time with his spider, gets killed. Yep. But what the reason I bring it up is because in that episode, or maybe the one immediately preceding or after, I, I'm not entirely sure, but... um. Mike is really mad at that Madrigal lady, right? Because she thinks that she set them up by placing a tracker on a barrel. And it just really struck me the evolution of Mike's character, because I feel like in Better Call Saul, there's very much a resigned feeling from Mike. He doesn't really want to do these awful things, but this is the situation. This is his lot in life. This is where he's found himself. And so even though he would prefer not to be doing these things, he understands it's his job and he will do these things. In these episodes of Breaking Bad that I saw, he was straight up angry and willing to kill everybody. Right. (laughs) It really, I guess I hadn't watched an episode of Breaking Bad in a long time, but it really struck me how Mike's character had evolved. Yeah, I think they've modulated the characters really well. They're very smart in how they've laid this out. I have not revisited Breaking Bad, but I'm almost certainly going to now when the show wraps up for these very reasons that I think that they've really thought about this. They probably Mm -hmm. do have, you know, you have, continuity coaches and cast coaches on the set. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if Vince Gilligan, who directed this episode, by the way, very well, and uh, Peter Gould actually have people watching the show. Like I want them to get to like, if they're at 12 over here, I want them to be at an eight over here. Right. And it's kind of, you know, doing that or, or, you know, coaching them to, to that. And I wouldn't be surprised at all. I mean, they seem very meticulous in the plotting and design of the show that they do want these shows to fit together. Uh, and Mike, speaking of Mike, this speech he gives to Kim and Saul. All right. Here's what's going to happen. In a few days, Howard Hamlin's car will be found several states away by the water. There will be cocaine in the upholstery. That's the story you were setting up for this guy, yeah? They'll call it a suicide, hoping the body will come washing up. It never will. At some point, you're going to hear about it. Someone calls you, someone at the courthouse mentions it. The moment that happens, you call the cops. His car was here for hours last night. Good chance somebody noticed it. That means you are the last people to see him alive. Cops are going to want to hear from you. You tell the cops you saw him. He came here. Seemed like maybe he was chemically altered. Didn't make a lick of sense. Then he left, that's all you know. You keep telling the lie that you've been telling. So you two are gonna go about your day, normal, same as ever. No staring into space, nothing out of the ordinary. You cover, anybody talks to you, it's just another day that ends in Y, that's all. Now, I need to impress upon you, none of this ever happened. None of it. Understand? Really beautifully done. You have him splitting the screen. They have one on either side of his, one on either shoulder, basically. They are obviously totally traumatized by what's happening. And in the background, they're having a refrigerator delivered because poor Howard is going to be escorted out of the building Mm -hmm. in the old refrigerator. And they're going to fake, you know, his suicide or set up uh, this fake suicide. This whole scene is maybe the most important scene in this whole entire episode, I think. 
I look at these two people, Saul and Kim, and there's really no coming back for them at this moment, right? Like it's not only how close they got to, you know, being killed, but it is the consequences of their actions. I mean, Mike says that to him, right? So like, we're going to make this look like a suicide. We're going to put cocaine in the car. That is what you guys were setting up, wasn't it? It's being saying like, this is what you wanted, right? And they're like, no, 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 I didn't want this. But uh, uh-huh. it is where they ended up. It's a very uh, sad demise for Howard. Once again, the indignity of all of this is really shocking in some ways. They are just continuing to absorb that what I'm sure in hindsight seems to them like just such a stupid caper has Mm -hmm. setting the sequence of events in motion that caused Howard to be killed and for them to be watching them put Howard's body in a refrigerator (laughs) and just how grim all of it is and everything that they've been through with with Lalo and I think it's just all weighing on them so heavily at this moment. And then the scene that I wanted to talk about uh, really at the top of this whole entire episode, the one that kind of, for some reason, hit me, really affected me very deeply, which was them disposing of the bodies. Finally, they put them under the lab. You have Mm -hmm. Lalo and Howard. And when they put Howard down in that hole and you realize that he's been throughout Breaking Bad, basically living under that hole with Lalo, with his assassin. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Mm -hmm. way they're like laying there, like almost like cozy with each other, it was just something so disturbing about it to me right here. Yeah, being buried with your murderer. With your murderer, the indignity of it, your body never being found, being buried there. Yeah. And it's just, it, it's just, I don't, like I said, I can't even put in words. It was just something no, very, I mean, very disturbing about it. Howard was not perfect, but he did not deserve the, this. Nobody, sure. nobody deserves this. It's yeah. an absolutely horrible situation. Yeah, and they're kind it of was both rough. Of them. It was, it was yeah. grim. It was yeah. very grim. It really is. It really is. <laughs> By the way, this weighs on Mike as well when he's like going through his pockets and taking his ring and he knows what he needs mm-hmm. to do for this setup. Mm-hmm. But he seems, to your point earlier, he doesn't seem his whole his cold calculated self. He seems very uncomfortable with having to have done right. this. So. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I think that's why he has a certain coldness to the magical woman. It's the same kind of anger he has towards Kim and Saul where it's like, you guys did do this, by the way, <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> and he's looking out for them, right? He's like, you know, has given her a warning, has given her heads up in the past. You know, I was trying to help you guys out and you guys screwed up badly. Yeah, and well, notably, Kim is mad at him too, right? You're supposed to be around. How did you let this happen? Yeah, yep. and honestly, something could have happened exactly the same way. Lalo could have still shown up at their house and they could have still blackmailed them, but Howard would not be dead right now if it hadn't been for all these machinations that they put in place. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's where I think is going to really haunt them throughout the rest of their lives. Did you think for a moment, because we know that Kim does not um, exist in the Breaking Bad universe, or at least she doesn't appear in it, did you think that maybe she was going to die in this episode? Because that was something that did occur to me. I thought for a moment there was a chance of it, but I think that if she dies, I don't think she's going to die, but I think if she dies, that there would be a little more. It would be a little too quick. This is me thinking pragmatically from the point of view of the show. It's a little quick to have um, have that play out that way. Another thing I think we touched uh, on this when we were talking about in the mid-season finale, uh, I think we both agreed that we don't expect there to be Kim's death because I don't think that Saul, the Saul we saw in Better Call Saul, would ever recover from Kim's death. You know, I, I actually think it's more likely that they separate. They go their own separate ways. She can't be with him anymore. And that's its own tragedy. But I think if like he got her killed, if she was disappeared somewhere in an oil tanker or like buried under a meth lab somewhere, I don't think he'd ever come back from that. I, I think that, mm-hmm. you know, that's my, that's, that's my fair. Opinion. 
That's and I could, be, I could be completely wrong about that. You, you see how he reacted to his brother's death, traumatized by it, and then like completely be like, well, he did it to himself and just kind of moved on. So it's possible he could go into denial as well. So I could be wrong about mm-hmm. that, but I just don't think that's the case. That's fair. Okay. An, an interesting piece of trivia here before we move on to the next thing I want to discuss with you is that I don't know if you noticed in the previously on the cab driver, the guy who confronts him in the mall, in the, the black yes. and white flash forwards. Yes. They recast this character. So this is what I'm interested in. And I don't think you can predict any of this, but I just putting it out there because I think it's interesting trivia. The actor who plays that role was just was in We Own the City on HBO. Okay. He's like one of the lead investigators. So he was unavailable to reshoot some scenes. So now they have recast. They've recast this character. And even in the flashbacks, they have a different actor playing them. So they've inserted him into the flashback sequences or the you know, the previously ons, they have the other actor mm-hmm. now playing those roles. And the reason I think it's interesting is that means that in the past few months, just recently, they have reshot those scenes for the flash forward. So I'm interested. And once again, I don't think you can predict anything here. So I'm not asking you to answer this question, but I just find it interesting that even now they are tinkering with the future of these characters, right? Because they've reshot some of these flash mm-hmm. forward scenes. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So the question I do have for you is how long do you think it takes us? We have five more episodes now. How long do you think it takes us before we do jump into the present or future, whatever you want to call it? Uh, the Cinnabon universe, you mean? Yes, the Cinnabon universe, yes. <laughs> I think it might be the last episode. What do you think? I think it might be sooner, especially when you think really? about them reshooting, recasting this character, that it seems that I would assume there's more time spent hmm. in the future. Uh, but do you think there's, there's definitely going to be a time jump into the Breaking Bad timeline as well, right? Uh, you know, I'm not good at keeping track of timelines, as you know. Would that require <laughs> a time jump or could it be a natural evolution? I think there could be a natural evolution where we jump ahead just a little bit. I think in Breaking Bad, we do meet them during their first meeting. I think that's the first time Walt, but I think Jesse already knows about Saul before Walt right. actually meets him. So maybe yes. we have... I think it could be a natural segue where Jesse shows up. That's going to be very funny, by the way. Jesse, supposedly 19 years old, and he's now being played by a 30-something-year-old guy. <laughs> maybe he'll have sunglasses on or something to make, <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe. make the crow's feet or whatever look. They definitely previewed a lot when Breaking Bad was being marathoned on Sunday. That little clip, you don't need a criminal lawyer. You need a criminal lawyer. <laughs> so, right, right. so, yeah, they, they definitely are laying the groundwork for a meeting with Jesse. And um, and I do think in the very next episode, the immediate episode, I don't think we're going to have a time jump yet. I think we're going to have Kim and Jimmy, I think they need to have a moment, a beat where they deal with the ramifications of all of this. Do you agree? Yes, that would be natural. <laughs> I just wonder if instead it's going to be something that they've completely disassociated from. And Mike says, you know, you can... The, all of this never happened. It right. never happened. And if they're just going to go with that and be able to push it down that deep that they don't have to deal with the ramifications, maybe I wouldn't that's, rule it out. That's true. Like Kim could suddenly just be like working 24 seven and never has time right. to see Jimmy. And Jimmy's like, what's going on? And he's, she's just like, what do you mean? I'm right. just busy. You know, something like right. that. I could see it. Okay. One more thing to complexify our logic here. So in the flashback, of course, I forgot to mention this all the way back there, but in the flashback where Kim and her mom are stealing from that store yes the license plate is nebraska and yes the cinnabon is in the 
breast? Yes. So do you I think, am aware of this. <laughs> so do you think that means that Kim is still out there somewhere? I mean, maybe that's why he wanted to be at a Cinnabon in Nebraska, right? Or she might have family. If she did die, mm-hmm. is he like somehow helping out the family or something? Like I said, I'm kind of surprised at how much I want Kim to survive because I had not felt any particular fondness for her. So I like that idea that she's around, you know, yeah, yeah. whether it's realistic or not, given everything we're seeing, that's a different issue. But I think it is possible that she has either from the trauma of all this run away or vacuum cleanered herself away. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, I, I think those are all viable options for what has happened to Kim. You know, usually I have like a strong opinion on something. I don't. I, I really don't know what, what, where they're going to go with, with her. I mean, we definitely see, I think, in Saul's character in the Breaking Bad universe, he doesn't strike me as someone who knows that there is someone he loves out there and is trying to find his way back to her, (laughs) Um, for whatever that means. (laughs) I have a theory that just came up with right now, which is when we see at the beginning of this season, the cleanup at the... yeah at his mansion and we see there's like bras everywhere and like viagra pills that they're packing up like boxes and boxes viagra so it's just like this guy's having orgies every single night when i think about the complexity of jimmy's thinking slipping jimmy's thinking is that you know he always is very performative with all of his scams there always has to be a lot of like production and a lot of set design and stuff for all of his crap Mm -hmm. the first time i read that at the beginning of the season it's like well he's not with kim like what's going on at that mansion And then I think to myself, that's the performance, right? Like maybe he is with Kim. Maybe he did basically make it look like we had this falling out and she's out somewhere. I have no communication with her anymore. And look, I'm like living this luxurious, you know, um, bachelor life. Look at me. Single man life. Yeah. And it's all subterfuge, right? Because a long con. Exactly. And and that's what he does. Right. So that, that maybe that's, maybe, maybe that's the direction we're going. I couldn't, yeah, I wouldn't rule it out. I think it's an option. And if I turn out to be right, Everybody out there right now, that was a total guess. <laughs> I, honestly, I, I honestly, I honestly would not put money on that. Though, on that so. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for the conversation. And we will thank be you. tuning in again next week for another. For exciting. sure. I don't know what the title of next week's episode is. It's probably available. I should look it up. It probably is. Yeah. Really looking forward to it. I mean, only five more episodes. I know. Really want to savor these last few episodes, but we can always watch the reruns and I will definitely be rewatching Breaking Bad. So. Yes, for sure. All right. Thanks again. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye.